welcome to this week's episode of In Media's Mess, where two pop culture nerds try to make sense of the messy world of mass media. I'm Alanis. And I'm Clea. And we're glad to have you along. So in case you guys missed the memo, the two of us are huge, shameless fangirls of so many things. And fangirls tend to get a bad rap, but we think that's a little too unfair. So we're leaving that particular judgment by the door today and spending this episode taking a closer look at the power of the fangirl. Let's go. We've had quite a long career as fangirls, Clea. We have. Like, I can't even remember anymore what my first experience was, really. It's actually really funny because I genuinely feel like I can track my life in fangirl stages. Same! Especially if you look at, like, my old Tumblr. You can really, like, tell a lot about me by just listing down the particular fandoms that I was part of growing up. Oh my god, yes. Relatable content. But which ones would you say were you the most involved in? Ooh, there have been so many, honestly. I think Harry Potter was definitely, like, one of the first real big ones. Then you have Team Starkid, which was my gateway to like the musical theater fandom. Uh-huh. And then I guess football, which was kind of like my gateway to literally every other sport. There are a lot more that I've sort of dipped in and out of, but these three are really like my mainstay triumvirate. Yes, as a friend for many years, I can attest. For me, I agree. I do think you can really track my big phases and their subsequent fan communities. But I don't think I was ever heavily involved in the communities per se. But I've always been interested in the way the communities work mm-hmm. yeah. and the discussions that spring out of those spaces. I would say that's an interest that was probably shaped by YouTube. Oh, you definitely. Yeah, it kind of gave me an idea of the possibilities of fan communities on the internet and how that can be experienced, but also how it can be fostered, Mm -hmm. how certain things can be healthy or not healthy, and how it can grow to become such an integral part of the work itself that the community is a fan of. Oh, for sure. I think actually for both of us, like the YouTube, like the vlogging heyday was really a great example of how the interactivity of fandoms and how, you know, like actual communities are formed based on interests. And that was like a really cool thing. You know, experiencing not just a piece of media, but sort of like the fanfare and the community that came with it was definitely, it was really a nice experience. And I think that's one of like the advantages of growing up with the internet, I think. Yeah, I was going to say, because we were growing up with the internet and we've made an episode on that. And it's a bit fascinating to see what's different, what's similar, what has improved, and how much can really be done within these fan spaces also. Let's take, for example, the media coverage lately of fandoms becoming active in social causes and philanthropy. Right, 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 yeah. This is, of course, not a new phenomenon. But I think it's nice to see how fan spaces can now be acknowledged for the good Mm -hmm. that it can do, especially because the impression prior can be a little bit negative. Honestly, not even just philanthropy. I think like, as you've mentioned, like fangirls tend to get a bad rap as obsessed and obsessive people. 
essentially. And there are definitely cases where, you know, people go a little too extreme and that's definitely something to watch out for. But a lot of people just underestimate the power of the fan girl or the fan in general. And we're not even just talking like how they mobilize for important causes, but even the fact that they essentially dictate taste. Yes, pop culture is driven by fandoms. I mean, it's called popular culture. Exactly, yeah. For things to be popular, there needs to be an audience that is large or at least dedicated and is a force all on their own. And I would argue this is true, especially for the non-straight male audience, like for fangirls and um, for the LGBT community, because those are the fan spaces that are often given a bad connotation. The moment we agreed on this episode, a quote popped into my head. Mm. And this is from um, Love is a Mixtape by Rob Sheffield. And there is an incredible line where he talks to his friend named Rick James. They were at like an eighth grade dance. And the idea of this one is like, it's called Bitch Power, Mm -hmm. which sounds kind of ridiculous, but this is like the entire line. It says, if Rick is to be trusted, and he always is, Bitch Power is the juice, the sweat, the blood that keeps pop music going. Rick James helped me understand the lesson of the eighth grade dance. Bitch Power rules the world. If girls don't like the music, they sit down and stop the show. And you gotta have a crowd if you want to have a show. And girls are the show. We're talking absolute monarchy with no rules of succession. She must be obeyed. She must be feared. And that's exactly what a fangirl is. Oh my god, she must be feared is right. And I love that it specifically says pop music because that is too real. But what would the Beatles be if it weren't for the fangirls? Exactly. What would pop music be if the gays didn't bolster Lady Gaga and Ariana if Megan's Hot Girl Summer didn't become the anthem. There are so many examples, Pop, but you get the point. Pop music is really driven by these fan spaces. Modern bands rely on fangirls to actually like push them forward, really. And not just bands, actors, stars, celebrities, influencers. Like They need fans to actually have careers. And that's such an important thing that I feel like industry execs really need to like remember. Your fans are essentially just like, it's very democratic if you think about it, where, you know, the power is within like the majority. So as much as you are a record exec or whatever, you do still have to think about how your choices are going to affect the fans and like the majority who consume your content. Right. I think if we're talking in the industry level, often I feel like they, and by they I mean higher-ups and executives, absolutely know that fangirls are the driving force of careers. Right, yeah. It's just that they don't respect the fangirl. And when you're a fan, you can definitely tell when they don't regard you as anything but a source of income. You can tell when it's a cash grab. Or when it's pandering. Yeah, exactly. And it's something that I would honestly like to say to any industry power. You can't actually fool fans for that long. They catch on. Your audience is not dumb. And like we've said, they can dictate taste. And like we've said, they can also be positive driving forces. There's no real limit to what a group of dedicated and engaged people can do. I think some of the best examples really are when fans come together for charity work. 
and philanthropic work in the name of the people that they idolize or the people that they are a fan of. It's one of the like purest forms for me of just fan love because I am a firm believer that good art made by good people inspires other people to do good things. There's just a lot of like overflow of like love and good things happening. Inspire is really it. Like it's the operating word, Clea. I agree. It elicits something in you. For me, I think the best creators really do inspire something in the people that follow them. And, you know, there are also variations of that. It's not necessarily all charity or all making their own art, but there's really, like you said, an overflow of good things that can happen. Honestly, a great example of this that I feel like people have only very recently caught on to are K-pop idols. Right. Because, like, since the early aughts, really, K-pop fans have been A+. plus in mobilizing and raising money and raising awareness and campaigning for different things. And it's actually such a cool, like for me, especially like when I was what, like 11 or 12 years old, sort of seeing that response and how passionate people are about helping other people was such a cool thing. Yeah, and I'm reminded of Minho from Shiny saying something about how fans and the artists reflect each other somehow. And so how they are as idols, like how they present themselves, affects how their fans are perceived and vice versa. How fans are perceived affects how idols are perceived. And that can influence, you know, new fans and like how willing people are to kind of engage with the media. And that idea is something that's present in a lot of artists everywhere. They are aware of that responsibility. And It's nice when you see that that's something that's taken seriously by both the fans and the artists, I think. Like, optimistically, idealistically, it shows that they're aware of how actions have effects and consequences. And for me, again, idealistically, I'd like to think that there are good intentions behind the numerous fan projects. And I say numerous because there's really so many. So many, so many. And it's a norm and maybe even an expectation as well. And also aside from just the idea of fan projects, but also the way it's done. Like everything is organized. Everything's coordinated. Yeah, you have to understand. Like obviously now K-pop is a big thing. But even then you were dealing with like fan groups in multiple continents trying to put together a fan project. You know, if you've ever tried to organize anything large scale, like you know that it's so hard to coordinate with people and, you know, get things done in a way that satisfies everyone. So it's not an easy feat and honestly, hats off to them. This is giving me college org flashbacks because it takes a lot of work. It's so hard, even when you're already in the same room, face-to-face with your team, coordinating and talking to them. And fans do this not even on video calls usually, just messages, messages, DMs, and group chats, which is also a safety thing. But it does add a bit of a hurdle in the process. So cool, so cool. There are so many like fan projects that have been done for K-pop groups. Speaking to my history as a Super Junior fan, I cannot 
tell you the exact numbers, but know that there are so many schools named after Super Junior in Africa, which is such a funny but also incredible thing. And it's great because like this is usually stuff that is organized in the name of the idol, like for a birthday or, you know, in the name of the group for an anniversary. So that's kind of wild, you know, that fans do so many cool and so many good things for zero of the recognition. My favorite fan stan projects are stuff like Chen Forest, where trees are planted in the name of the artist. Like, I don't know how many trees have been planted in the name of Kim Jong-dae, bless his heart, who has also talked about it so gratefully and graciously. Um, I think you mentioned one somewhere along the lines of it being a source of pride, but also want him wanting to be worthy of that kind of love and that kind of action. So again, a lot of good things happen and a lot of good things are exchanged in these kinds of things. And actually, I do wonder, what do you think makes fans so willing to do projects like this? Okay, so I'm going to use a specific example here. Um, we've mentioned it before, but the show Shit's Creek, obviously as such a champion of like kindness and acceptance and queer representation. And it's just, it's a great show. And for Dan Levy, the creator's birthday, last year fans raised funds for an organization called Trans Lifeline. And I was very in the thick of the fandom when this came about. And I remember there was one day in the fundraising hashtag where a lot of people were just talking about the reasons they were participating. And they said that organizations like these have really helped them, especially considering a good chunk of the fan base are, you know, queer, either recently out or still in the closet. But also that, you know, there were just people who were very grateful for Dan's work. I think that willingness really just stems from how affected they are by the art and how important they think the cause is. Which I guess also goes back to being inspired and to the idea of media influencing our lives. Also, I'd like to think that maybe it comes from the very human idea of paying kindness and goodness forward Mm, yes that okay i have been given this wonderful thing and now i want to share this feeling with everyone and they do agree that yes on some level the projects and mobilization that is done connects with the perceived values that is in the art or in the people involved in the art but also in the other sense the value of the art and the artist to them. Right, yeah. The idea of paying it forward, I think, definitely is something rooted in human nature. But I actually kind of think about it, and it's very much also rooted in fan culture. Right. Because I think of the quote-unquote, like, the perceived values of the different things that I was a fan of. And I feel like I've very much sort of assimilated and integrated them into my life. For example, one of my like one of my biggest things really is like access to the arts, which I can very easily trace back to the idea of Starkid and theater shows on YouTube. Um, I think that you pick up a lot of values and characteristics from whatever you decide to become a fan of. Right. And being in the fandom, a fan community amplifies whatever it is you pick up from it. That's part of being in the community, especially if you're immersed in it. Right, yeah. I mean, okay, let's say Harry Potter. Despite (laughs) recent developments and things that J.K. Rowling has said and done, you know, you see people who grew up with Harry Potter now be able to 
be critical about the text, the issues surrounding it and surrounding its legacy mm. because they were able to learn from being in the Harry Potter fan community. True. Um, being in that community became a bit of a starting point or at least a contributing block to the values that they have now. They were able to really look at the work and what it says and means even more now because they were surrounded by people who thought about the work as much as they did and was involved in it as much as they were. And to have those discussions with people who were just as interested and just as serious about having them as you were. Because very often when you're a fan of something and you want to talk about it from a very like analytical or philosophical way even, when you talk about it with people who aren't fans, you often get brushed off. Yeah. You, you can tell they're not interested. They're like, oh, okay. Yeah. And like the let you speak to be nice to you and then that's kind of it. But when you, you know, when you share the interest and you have this conversation and you guys get to like build off of what each other is saying, it's such a different experience that really goes to show how important like a community is yes and a good healthy community especially when you're building who you are as a person so it's important that the community is a safe space in general and to that effect also you know aside from fundraisers and charity drives and all of these things we cannot also forget the educational discussions and awareness campaigns that so many fan groups do i do think though that some fan communities are more receptive to that than others. Like there are some fan communities that are more receptive to educational discussions or educational events. Yes, yeah. Plus, because of the pandemic, there are a lot more online conferences and Zoom has really opened up that possibility. Right. I think it's one of the things that we will see becoming more of a norm in the next few years in fan spaces, which I think is a good thing because it's quite needed, I would say. And we saw how helpful and good it really can be, particularly when we saw the Gaia Sapericola fan community organize these projects, especially in the fight for the passing of the Sogi bill. Yes, so there have been discussions on the anti-discrimination bill, on Sogi in general, and, you know, the intersectionality of queer rights, as well as issues like HIV. I think they also do events. There was also... Remember like that one time last year that we had like three typhoons in two weeks? They managed helplines and held charity drives. And that honestly is so wild for, you know, a considerably small and very young community to put together. Which, again, I think is just a testament to how much fans care. Yeah, the typhoon situation was wild because there were a lot of fan projects. Mostly as a response to the lack of institutional action, which is obviously ridiculous we should not be relying on fandoms and private entities for these things but you know the philippines that's a very long conversation that we need to have as a nation but <laughs> yes absolutely but in any case it was still a showing of how fandoms can be a force of good and it makes me think you know these communities are made up of mostly young people and it really makes me think back on when we were in middle school, high school, SHS, what have you. And we were always asked, okay, what are concrete ways that you can help? What are concrete action steps and stuff like that? And I don't know, I think when I was younger, I don't think I would have been able to confidently answer that, oh, I can initiate a project yeah. with my group of people that I share the same interest with. Like, 
like it's not something that was in my head but you know kids today are doing exactly that and for it to come from something so simple as an admiration of an artist or piece of media really is something and the thing to remember is that K-pop groups, TV shows, movies, anything that creates a fan community. There is no call to action to like do all of these things. You're not obligated, kumbaga. Kusang loob lahat ng ginagawa ng mga tao. Alam mo yon? Kusang binibigay. Oh my god, yes, yes, that's the perfect word. Kusang lahat eh. That's the thing about fandom, the love that is formed within these communities that is that it's given so freely and so openly. The creators don't ask these things of their fans. These are things that fans do because they want to, because they believe in it, because they want to help. And taking away from like the capitalistic sense of what is powerful and not, the true sense of fan power really is that like everything is given so freely and without expecting anything in return. There's a lot to admire in the way fan communities become a force of good by all of these advocacies and projects and giving their time and energy for them. But admittedly, sometimes I also worry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's very easy for these things to spiral into something else. Going back to the idea of fan power and the industry not respecting the power that the fans have. Something that I think both of us are very wary of um, whenever we see projects is really how fans can be exploited by the industry at large for what is essentially free labor. This is most commonly seen in like fan marketing projects, I think. Yes, marketing and promotions is really the area where I get iffy. It's also one of the most common type of projects that fans engage in, especially as we are in the age of social media. There are always, always complaints about lack of promotion in fan stand spaces. So the fans do what they can to get whatever it is promoted. They pay for ads in whatever social media platform, billboards, Times Square ads, subway ads. Yeah. Shout out Osehon Bar. They paid for a whole ass plane for Sehon. And like, I get that you want exposure for your favorites and want to celebrate them. But also, it just makes me think about executives sitting pretty in their pile of money, not moving a finger and knowing full well the fans would do these marketing things for them. With fan marketing, I do like how creative it is. And usually, like, the um onslaught of fan-produced content is always kind of great. But for me, I guess, like, as a personal thing, I feel like I prefer fan marketing when it's done in like guerrilla style like flyers and just like sharing stuff on social media versus like raising funds for Times Square billboards because here's the thing you guys whether they're K-pop groups or Sony artists oh my god I have a particular vendetta against like Sony music marketing but like let's not get into that um no so wherever they are and like whatever company that they're signed to. These companies are not poor. These companies have the money for billboards. As much as I completely understand wanting to share the artist or the work or the song or the whatever the hell it is that we're trying to promote here, um, as much as I get wanting 
everyone else to see it. There are certain things I feel that are outside the realm of fan responsibility. Absolutely. And basic promotion is definitely one of them. But I do want to point out that this doesn't apply to everyone, especially to indie artists or small companies without a lot of funds. There are a lot of underrated and struggling artists that need that boost and support. But if we're talking artists backed by big companies, I think we need to treat ourselves less like ATMs. We're already buying albums, streaming music, going to concerts, buying merch, tweeting, sharing, posting, editing videos, subbing content, all of these things. I think we can leave the purchasing of ads and the plastering of faces everywhere to the companies who should be financing those. When they're managed by like some of the biggest industry names, that's a pretty good sign that they don't need you paying billboards for them. Indie artists for sure and up and coming ones that are very often neglected by companies that already don't have a lot of cash to begin with, then sure, like, let's all spend a little bit of money and like, let's all help out with promotions. But when they're under Sony Music or Capital Music Records or like, I don't know, like in K-pop, the big three, it's just like they don't need you spending money for billboards, you guys. I get it. Like, and this is not a hate on anyone who's doing it because we understand I think both of us have been very much in love with artists who are criminally underrated and not promoted. My God, that's practically a requirement for me to be a fan of something. No, yeah, exactly. So we know, we know, we understand how badly the fans want them to be promoted better. But there are just certain things I feel like shouldn't be necessary for fans to do. I think the bottom line is practice discernment. You know, all of these things are a case-to-case basis, but let's just really think about the extent of our dedication Mm -hmm. and investment of time, energy, money. Right, yeah. I sound like such a mom right now, but it really is true. Let's be sure about what's worth giving all of that investment to and see if, you know, these things actually help the artists or actually do the things that you want it to do. Will it make a difference? Or is it just flexing your fandom's capacity to spend? And at the end of the day, it's your life and it's your resources. You can do whatever you want with it and I'm not going to shame you for that. But I hope that it's not something you would regret or something that you would have to sacrifice important things for. Like if you don't have the means to give, then it's fine. I know there are parables about this, but this isn't charity. Oh, you went with parables. (laughs) Yeah, dude, the Catholic schooling really flushed before my eyes. But anyway, yes, if you don't have the means to give whatever resource it is, then I hope you don't feel pressured to do so. Mm. Do what you can without compromising your well-being. Especially considering just like existence is expensive under the capitalistic society in which we live. If you're already having time making ends meet or, you know, kind of like saving up for certain things for yourself, you don't have to give it to promotional activities that should be paid for by the company of whoever you're a fan of. And not just companies, but also fellow fans who cross moral lines, steal art or stalk artists and invade their privacy, hack accounts. And trying to profit off of it, man. 
Yes, and profiting off of it, you know, again, just be discerning of what and who you invest in. Sure, like in terms of, you know, profiting, quote unquote, if they're selling you like fan art or creations, like, you know, like if they're selling you something that they've made and that they deserve to be paid for, absolutely, please pay them. Like, you don't ask for free commissions or whatever. So it's cool. But let's not shy away from the fact that the fan space can get kind of ugly and people do cross the line. Sometimes fans go a little too far. And please be discerning as to whether or not you're going to encourage that kind of behavior. Yes, and we really have to acknowledge that as much as fan spaces can do a lot of good and they are getting recognition for that, we also have to face that these spaces can also be dangerous and can cause and do cause a lot of harm, especially for marginalized communities. There can be so much hate propagated as fast as a viral photo, and people are quick to inflict so much harm over such petty things that involve weird arbitrary fan rules. Like if someone just says that they don't like a particular song, or a creative direction choice, or a performance, you know, whatever disagrees with the majority. Suddenly, they have their families exposed, their faces exposed, their location tracked, and all of these other sensitive information being propagated. The doxing really can get pretty insidious, and it's targeted hate and harassment. And in this world where media is power, doxing really is one of the scariest things that can happen to you, especially in the space that's supposed to be safe and is supposed to be fun and is for your hobby. It's also stressful and concerning and infuriating, honestly. I think the thing with fan communities, especially fan communities that you can find online, again, they can be an incredible safe haven for a lot of people. It becomes a space for you to learn, to meet new people, to kind of like, you know, be excited about things. And that's great. But again, there are bad people on the internet. And also social media has the tendency to develop echo chambers and hive mind. And aside from just being wary of it, you have to also actively try to not be part of that kind of behavior. It's easy to get roped into not so great tendencies on the internet because you know if that's the circle that you operate in it's pretty easy to assimilate yeah but you really have to exercise caution and discernment right and just make sure that you above all people but as much as possible you and others are having just a safe and happy and enjoyable time being a fan I always advocate for putting a healthy distance between you and the things that you're interested in. And, you know, the amount of distance that I personally have may not be the ideal for everyone else. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be involved in anything. It's more of that I believe in the importance of healthy boundaries. And so that applies to fandoms, social media, you know, life, everything. I don't think it's all that great to be fully consumed by something. And especially with fan spaces, I also don't Mm, really think it's healthy for your fan community to be the only community you're a part of, especially if it's a homogenous one. I think it's a much better experience overall when you have those healthy boundaries in place and when you're not relying on a single community for all of your mental and emotional needs and support. Right. 
the best way to put it is that like some sense of detachment is healthy. I am a very big sports fan and I understand how intense the fans get and I understand why. But the thing is, I've been a part of many sports fandoms and I always say the same thing. At the end of the day, you guys, it's a game. Yeah. And people hate it when I say this. I've gotten someone like literally tell me like, how could you say something like that as a joke? Hi, Glad. Hi, Glad. But yeah, I get it. These things shouldn't consume you. Listen, the staying power and the impact of media cannot be overstated. There are sometimes you find a piece of media you connect with and it truly, truly changes your life and your worldview. And I wish that experience on literally everyone. But it is essentially a piece of media. It is not something you attack people for over a difference in opinion. Mm-hmm. It's not a personal attack on you if someone doesn't agree with what you like. Yes, exactly. Hobbies and interests should be a part of you, but not necessarily all of you. I don't see why it should define you and your life in its entirety. And if you feel like that's happening to you, like you're being too involved or you're putting too much of yourself into it, then I think, you know, do what you can to put that healthy distance and healthy boundary between you and the fan space or the media, because I really do think it can benefit you a lot and can help you grow and learn and explore other things. And this is, again, coming from two people who have been fans of so many things. You know, we have been able to discover what works for us. And what works for us is having a handful of people who we can talk to, who are happy to listen to our thoughts, are interested in similar things, but would also challenge our thinking and our opinions. And it's basically Clea and I's friendship in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't always have the same preferences in media, but we know we can talk about it with each other and it'll be a fun time. So I think that's really the ideal for all of us to discover what kind of fan spaces or communities work for us and to cultivate that. Right. And going back to what we talked about earlier, one of the things that makes you know, a fan community and a fan so special really is that it is a love of something given freely. Yeah take that concept and run with it. Whatever you are willing to give freely, you give. Whenever it feels like a chore, you need to stop and reevaluate if like you're still doing this for the right reasons. Yeah. And also, the fan experience is supposed to be fun. Whenever there is anything at all that makes the fan experience not fun for you anymore, cut it out of your life. People vastly underestimate how much power they have in like shaping their fan experience yes exactly that's what i was gonna say at the end of the day the fan experience is yours there are actually no rules about being a fan there's nothing that says you have to buy everything watch everything save all of the pictures and screen caps nothing that says you have to um defend them from everyone who doesn't like them on the internet yeah Perhaps that's also a kind of fan power, you know? Just your ability to shape what kind of fan you want to be and to shape the kind of fan experience that you want to have. You make the rules for yourself. And as long as you're being a good person, then it's all good. It's all fine. Right. Just respect yourself, respect the people around you, and respect the person that you are a fan of. 
and you're totally fine. That really is the bottom line. And on that note, we would love to hear from you guys. How have you been in like fan spaces? Like, have you enjoyed them? Have they been difficult? Tell us about like the most memorable ones. Were you ever part of a fan project? And how do you guys cultivate safe spaces in fandoms? Ooh. Because that's honestly a thing I feel like we should be talking about more. Yes. As always, let's help each other be better. We are going to be talking about all of this stuff on Twitter. So follow us over at In Medias Mess. And that's it for the week. I cannot believe we've had this many episodes, honestly. I know, right? Who would have thought? Definitely not us, but it's a pleasant surprise. We thank you for spending all this time with us, and we will talk to you guys next time. Bye! Bye, everyone! (laughs) 